Thank you. Thank you for your help. Welcome back to Bible time. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, this is 1 Thessalonians 3.1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. This is Paul the Apostle speaking here to the Thessalonican church. Um, we've studied out um, the suffering of this church, and we studied out the sins of Israel, um, who how these Jews were attacking the church, and then how this church at Thessalonica had entered into the sufferings of the early church. And this church had been um, persecuted by their own people, even as the early church had been persecuted of their own people, the Jews. Paul was a Jew, by the way. If you don't love the Jews, you've got a problem. Now, I did. I met somebody not too long ago that said he liked the Bible, but he had a he had a problem with Paul. Wow. <clears throat> God used Paul more than any other single author in the New Testament. If you've got a problem with Paul, you've got a problem with the Bible, and you've got a problem with the author of the Bible. Now, Paul was a Jew. James and John and Peter, Bartholomew, Andrew, all of the disciples, the 12 apostles, were Jews. The early church was a Jewish church. The gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, also to the Greek. And uh, we're, the middle wall of partition is broken down now in Christ. So not outside of Christ, but in Christ. So that in Christ, we can be one with God in Christ and therefore on an equal footing with the Jew. And praise God for that. Hallelujah. But the unbelieving Jews had filled up their sins through the persecution of the early church and forbidding us, he says in verse 16 of chapter 2, to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, and there's that contrast that we studied the other day, the contrast between the Apostle Paul, the believing Jews, and we could have studied that out a lot more, it would have been good, um, the believing Jews who are preaching the gospel and those also the believing Gentiles carrying the gospel, the difference between them and the persecutors, but we brethren being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. So this great desire of the apostle Paul to get back to the church at Thessalonica is what is leading in to this statement in chapter three, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, they have a great desire. Desire to be at Thessalonica. We've looked at the context in detail. You can get it from the book of Acts. And you can get quite a lot of detail about the events surrounding the formation of the church at Thessalonica. And there we know that they have three Sabbath days that Paul reasoned with them from the scripture. And then Paul was thrust out from Thessalonica by persecution. And the Jews from Thessalonica chased Paul even to strange cities, persecuting him, raising up the rabble, raising up mobs against him, telling whatever lies had to be told to make everybody angry and start mob violence. And they, uh, and this persecution is what Paul's referring to um, as the hindrance of Satan in verse 18. He says, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan would not let us get through to you. I wanted to, and we talked about this in, in some detail, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the one that the devils that were being, the, the exorcists, the vagabond Jews, the sons of Sceva, tried to cast 
cast out these devils. And the devil said, Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the devils were jumped on those seven sons of Sceva and tore their clothes off of them and beat them up. And all seven of them ran out of the house naked and wounded because they had tried to go and cast out a devil in the name of Paul and in the name of Jesus without being believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and without having the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. And what a lesson we can learn from that whole story. But this Paul that Satan knew, this Paul that the devils knew was hindered by Satan. He was in a battle with Satan. We talked about how all of this brings us to ask the question, what is the worth of the soul? What is the worth of these people? As Paul says there in verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. And so here is this great battle taking place and it's not over a queen or a princess it's not over territorial boundaries between kingdoms it's not over prestige or honor it's not over offense this great battle that is happening that's waging here that's keeping the apostle paul from the thessalonian church is a battle that's taking place in the spiritual realm if you could see the battle and we talked about this at the tent not too long ago if you could see what was happening above that tent when we have it pitched in enemy territory in a place the devil controls and we're preaching the gospel if you could see the devils striving with the angels in the heavens and in the skies all around that place it would change your perspective about ministry it would change how you prayed it would change how you thought and it would change your perspective of the value of mission work but in this case we use that description that analogy that situation to give us a sense of the value of these souls. Imagine the devils striving over these souls. And for three Sabbath days, the devils fought and fought as the gospel was preached. But in spite of all the devil could do, these people in Thessalonica accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, turning from their sin, turning from their idolatry, turning from their customs that offend God, turning from their ways to God's way. The only way Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's in John 14. And Jesus said that there are not billions of ways, like the woman who recently told me that she's been taught that there are seven billion ways to God. There are not seven billion ways to God. There is one way to God. It's Jesus Christ. And the devils were standing in the way, but God won the victory and these souls were saved. And right at the moment of victory, as the church was being formed, it seemed like Satan got the upper hand and Paul was thrust bodily out of Thessalonica. He was still there in his heart. He was there with these early believers. He was there with this barely formed church. He was praying for them. He was often in his fastings and his watchings, crying out with tears to God for these people. Help God. Help these new believers at Thessalonica. They're being butchered. They're being attacked. They're being thrust out. They're being persecuted. And they're brand new believers. Help them, Lord. Strengthen them, Lord. And Silvanus and Timotheus and Paul would get down on their faces and seek God's throne. And they'd get before the throne of God in heaven in spirit and cry 
cry out to God for the souls of these Thessalonican believers. And time after time, Paul would try to go back and try to go back and try to go back, but Satan hindered him. I remember a story about a hireling in the Old Testament named Balaam, and he wanted to go curse the people of Israel for hire. He was willing to curse them for some money and some prestige. And I remember how an angel of the Lord stood in the way to resist him and had a sword drawn. And that man Balaam was not going to go another step further. If his donkey had not ran him into the wall, he would have ridden right into that angel and been killed. But his donkey stopped him, and then like a fool, he said, I didn't know it displeased you. If it displeases you, Lord, I'll go back home. Yeah, right, if it does. Obviously it does. In any case, that angel resisted Balaam. But here we have the opposite. We have a man who is not a hireling. We have a man who is an apostle of the Lamb who's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with his evangelistic band, and they're trying to get the gospel to these people, and the devil is standing in the way to resist him. We preached on satanic hindrances a couple weeks ago before the Dixon meetings, and you can look that up. Satan often moves through people. Satan has limited authority and limited ability on earth. He can get a lot more done through people than he can with his own power because God holds him back and praise God that God does hold him back. So Satan stirred up these Jews and he stirred up this persecution and kept chasing Paul further and further away from Thessalonica. Get out of here. Satan did not want Paul anywhere near Thessalonica and he hindered him and yet Paul prayed and yet Paul sought God but in spite of this they could not get through and here in chapter 3 he says wherefore when we could no longer forbear he's going to say it again in verse 5 there for this cause when I could no longer forbear I sent to know your faith this concept of forbearance is seen in a positive light in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 13 charity suffereth long and is kind charity believeth all things hopeth all things endureth all things it says charity beareth all things that bearing of all things is this forbearance to bear something is to endure to wait, to to not take action when you could take action. Charity, instead of retaliating, will bear with somebody in their infirmities. But this forbearance that Paul's talking about is a different kind of forbearance. And that's 1 Corinthians 13, 7, where it says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. Now, true charity, charity is love in action. Charity in your Bible is love in action. And the Apostle Paul has expressed his love for the church at Thessalonica. And his love is expressed through charity. True love brings true burdens, which bring true actions. True love brings true burdens, which bring true actions. True love comes from faith. Faith and love are tied directly together. The Bible talks about Christ as him whom ye have not seen. Having not seen, ye love. And your love for Christ constrains you to act for Christ. And it will always be the case. Um, Go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. True burdens bring true actions. Can you pray for the lost and never say a word to them? 
You know, the, I'm reminded of a story about a pastor who had several men in his church and they were gathered for a prayer meeting and they were praying for the souls in their community and they were convicted one day that they were cherry picking. They were praying for the people that they thought would probably make good Christians and they realized that they were leaving other people unprayed for and they said, you know what, this is wrong. Jesus Christ came to save sinners and Jesus Christ saved Saul of Tarshish who said he was the chief of sinners. So let's pray for the worst man in our town. And they all knew who he was. So they all started praying immediately for the most vile, wicked sinner in their town. And they labored fervently in prayer for this man together as a body and also in their private prayer. And after a few weeks went by, they'd prayed and prayed for this man. The burden turned to action and the men turned to their pastor, go figure. And they said, Pastor, don't you think that somebody should go talk to this man? Well, this man was known for hating preachers and fighting preachers and threatening preachers and saying he wanted to kill preachers. And the preacher did not want to go. But his men urged him. The prayer elicited a burden, and the burden caused them to send. And they said, Preacher, please go. We'll stay here and pray for you. Ain't that sweet? Well, it is sweet. Prayer is important. And and listen, if he didn't want to be on the front lines and run point for the church, he shouldn't have signed up for being pastor. But in, so there he went, and there, and he headed out to visit that man, and those men stayed at the church on their faces. And he pulled into the house, the run-down, messy shack with all the trash everywhere, and he picked his way through the yard, and he got up to the door to knock on it, and he, the whole time trembling and shaking and wondering if he was going to see a double-barrel shotgun pointed at his face when the door opened. And, in, and when that door opened, that big, rough, nasty, smelly, drunk, an angry fighting man stood in the doorway and said, Hello, preacher. I've been waiting for you. Come on inside. And the preacher walked inside, and the man sat down on the couch. And he says, What you got to tell me? And the preacher told him the gospel. And the man started weeping. And he broke. And he got saved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Listen to me today. You cannot have a burden for people. And you cannot truly love people without getting a burden for them. And you can't truly love people without faith in God and faith in Christ. Oh, you can love them with your soul, but not a spiritual love, not a charity of the Bible, not a selfless, total giving of self. Greater love hath no man than this, but that a man lay down his life for his friend. You can't truly love them like Christ without the Holy Spirit of God. And if you have the Holy Spirit of God, and if you have the love of God, and if you have a burden from God, you will have to act. You will not be able to sit idly by and watch your people around you go to hell without saying something to them. Oh, it might be feeble. It might just be a word here and there. You might not be able to say very much, but you will be able to say something. I know an old lady and this old lady, she would weep and say, Brother Josh, Brother Josh, I wish I could tell people like you. I wish I could preach. I wish I to people. She's And she didn't want to be a pastor type of preacher, but to preach the gospel to the lost. And that, listen to me, you people out there, the Bible's clear. There are no, no such thing as a woman pastor. We're not going to even get into that today. You got to be the husband of one wife to be a pastor. 
God's not into transgenderism. We're moving on from there. But the Bible's clear that we ought to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and that applies to men and women. You preach the gospel to the lost. Every time you tell people the old gospel story and what Christ did for you and that they ought to turn and repent and believe the gospel, you are preaching the gospel. And that kind of preaching, every man, woman, and child that's saved ought to have some desire in their heart to be involved with at some point. And it might not, listen, some people more than others, each one according to their several gifts and abilities. So as we, as we go on with this lesson, I want every one of you to know, I'm not trying to put a yoke on you to try and make you go out and tell people about the Lord without a burden. You get a burden by, ha- by loving and by having faith in God. You love God and love people, you'll get a burden, you'll pray for them, and you'll either go or you'll help somebody else go. And your preaching, listen to me today, your preaching may not be direct. You may back up a preacher who is vocalizing what's in your heart, and that might be your expression of preaching. This old lady Oh, Josh, oh, Joshua, I wish I could preach like that. I wish I could preach the gospel like that. And I don't even think she said preach, for those of you that are still getting your panties in a wad over that. But moving on, Lord, help me to be gracious. God have mercy. But she's, oh, Joshua, I wish I could witness like you. I wish I could do this. And I'd say, sister, I don't be, don't do that. Don't beat yourself up over this. She would pray. She would fast. She would spend time and time, long periods of time. Sometimes she would fast 40 days praying for the lost, praying for her lost family members, praying that God would send somebody to tell them the gospel, praying that God would break down the barriers. And then she said one day to me, she said, Brother Joshua, I just can't get the words out my mouth. So I'm writing them letters. How about that? You cannot have a true burden and forbear. The title of the message today is, Can You Forbear? Paul said, when I could no longer forbear. Can you forbear? Can you forbear? Can you pray for your missionary while he suffers and struggles and never give of yourself to his labor, both with your time and your resources? Can you, suffer, can you pray for your missionary and never give of yourself or of your resources to his work? No, you can't. You say, yes, I can. I do it all the time. And I tell you today, on the authority of God's word, whatever you call prayer is superficial. <clears throat> if your prayers end in your prayer closet and don't have any practical application to life, your prayer is superficial. Can you pray for your pastor and church and withhold your offerings, your time, and your help when you're needed? No. And if you say that you can and you say that you do, you're lying. Faith without works is dead. Faith and love work hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. Go to James chapter 2. You should already be there. Verse 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? 
Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. How many of you here today would say that you can pray without faith and be effective? I didn't get any takers. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We're supposed to pray in the Holy Ghost. Can you pray in the Holy Ghost without faith? Can you pray and be effectual and fervent without faith? Can you pray and have any effect without faith? Jesus said, if you ask believing, ye shall receive. What? And he said time after time, according to your faith, be it unto you. And look at what it says in the end of James here. It says that the prayer of faith, verse 15 of chapter 5, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Can you pray without faith and it be effective? Absolutely not. So if your prayer has faith, then your prayer will have works. Do you hear me today? Because faith without works is dead. And if you have faith, but you have not works, then your faith is dead. And if you have prayer and you do not have works, then you do not have faith in your prayer and you are wasting your time. It is a giant, phony, false, superficial, spiritualized exercise designed to placate your guilty conscience and make you feel good about yourself. The Bible says, woe to the scribes and Pharisees, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. For a pretense, they make long prayers. Go to James chapter one here. He says, if any man among you, verse 26, seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart this man's religion is vain pure the vain means empty this man's whole religion is vain he's saying listen to me if you think this guy's religious and he can't shut his mouth and he won't get to work for the gospel then his religion is vain and what God's exhorting us to do here is to shut up and work there is a time to pray And then there is a time to say, there is a time to get on your knees and intercede. And then there is a time to get on your feet and carry the gospel. I can just see Brother Michael saying amen on this one. Well, it's going to be right up his alley. He's a go-getter. Thank God for Brother Michael. I can't hardly not think about him whenever I say this because... This is right down his alley. But in any case, it says here, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You say you're religious. You say you follow Jesus. Don't sin. Stay clean and go visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Bring forth fruit. Meet for repentance, said John the Baptist, and say not within yourselves we have Abraham to our father, for God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Oh, you say, I'm a good Christian, I'm religious. I go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, I'm there for special services, I'm there for tent meetings, I help put up tents, I do all this kind of stuff, but your faith doesn't get outside the church house. Your faith doesn't have a practical application to your family. Your faith doesn't have a life-changing effect on you that keeps you unspotted from the world and 
keeps you busy about your father's business. Your faith is dead. Your religion is vain. You can go to church seven days a week. You can give 99% of your income in the offering and live off of 1%. You can give 100% and live off of roots and mushrooms out of the woods. And you can still have a vain and empty religion. That's the whole drive of this part. Look at what it says here. He says here in uh, verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And of course he's saying um, they are not to be angry, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity, that means fluffiness, of naughtiness. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Lay aside these childish games, videos, TV, radio, music, entertainment, even board games, card games, whatever it is, this fluffy naughtiness, this fluffy waste of time. And I'm not saying you can never enjoy a little board game with your family or go on a walk in the woods. But what I am saying is lay aside this life of empty superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart this man's religion is vain pure religion and undefiled before God and the father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world you say you're a disciple of Christ you say you follow Jesus put boots on it put boots on it you say you're a prayer warrior put boots on it You say you're a good Christian, put boots on it. Follow Jesus. Jesus had times that he prayed, and he had times that he came down from the mountain and ministered. He did both. He did not exclude one for the other. Be ye hearers of the word, and not doers only. Flattery, dead flattery, is dead faith. And whenever you tell somebody, I'm praying for you, and you have no burden for them, no desire for them, and do nothing to assist them in whatever they're going through, your, fa- your faith, your, your words are dead flattery. But you see needs. You express concern. You say, I'll pray, but you don't do that which is needful. What doth it profit? The missionary comes into town. He's been living on ramen noodles and his clothes are worn out. His bank account is low. His tires are balding. His people back in the bush are faltering without their preacher there. Why is he here? Everybody looks around. What's this guy doing here? People look with reproach at his tired wife and disheveled children. Doesn't he know to provide for his own? Some come and talk to him just out of pity for his condition. Some slip some dollars in his hand, quote, for the kids, and walk away shaking their heads. 
Others say, doesn't he know deputation isn't biblical? He should just trust God and go in faith. They shake their heads and walk away, fingering their gold and silver with their hearts and with their hands, while their brother leaves their church and limps on to the next one in need, and his people in the bush in need, and nobody willing to give. On his way out, a bunch of people take his prayer cards that cost money to print, by the way. Now, he's glad to get rid of them because he paid money for them, and he can't get his money back, and he feels better if he gets his prayer cards out. And he really hopes that you pray. So everybody takes the prayer cards. Prayer cards. He's happy to give them. We'll pray for you, everybody says. Over and over again he hears it. The old man that slapped him on the back. The old lady that smiled with her $10,000 worth of jewelry dangling all around her neck and her face. And shook his hand with her $4,000 ring on her wrist and her bracelets. And walked out to get in her fancy high dollar luxury vehicle and drive home says we'll pray for you and takes a prayer card never a word sent in reply to his newsletters he never hears back when he mentions something that he has been asking prayer for in his newsletters for 10 months consecutively the church that has been sending him 25 or 50 dollars or maybe wow 75 dollars a month to the mission field that he's come back to tell about doesn't even know about it And there's a gasp of surprise when they hear about the prayer request. And they all say, we'll pray. But deep in his heart, he wonders, did they read a single prayer letter? Does anybody read these prayer letters? Never an inquiry. No man cares for his soul. Support has been dropping. That's why he's back. He knows that he should trust God. He knows he should have faith and take no thought for the morrow. But he's out of money. And his people are faltering. And he's come to the point where he has to either come home and get a job or he has to do something. And so he resorts to the deputation trail. People in their high religiosity and their um, great spiritual understanding will all look down their long noses at him for going and telling people about his needs. And they'll say, we'll pray for you. But who will send Who will help? Who will give? Do you perceive the reality behind this story? True burdens pray. True burdens pray. True burdens give. True burdens work. You say, I'm praying, but you can forbear. You can forbear. You're lying to them. You're lying to them. Faith without works are dead. Promises to pray without works are dead. Our churches have new auditoriums, new hymnals, new positions, new vehicles, new programs, new staff members, new curriculums for the Sunday schools, new schools, new gyms, new equipment, new playgrounds, new events, new speakers, new sound equipment, and less missionaries than ever. 
less gospel going out to the streets than ever. In America today, an evangelist is somebody in a five-piece suit and a Cadillac with a Rolex that drives from church to church wowing everybody with his exegetical exactitudes and never gets his feet dirty on the street telling somebody about Jesus. Such an evangelist doesn't exist in the Bible. It is not even a legitimate position. It has no legitimacy. It is a fake position. Go study the life of Philip the evangelist before you call yourself an evangelist. Our missionaries on the field languish in need. But wait, we can fix that. Here's how we'll fix it. We're not going to let those poor ones come to town that look so needy. We're going to only support missionaries that show up in flashy vehicles that have big backing from big churches and big organizations so that we know they have a good guarantee of having solid funding. And they're smart enough to put money back in savings and not spend everything they have and spend and be spent like the Apostle Paul and end up poverty stricken where they might actually need more than what we're sending them. So we're going to support the ones that come in well-dressed and with flashy vehicles and big mission systems societies behind them so that we know that we have a solid investment and we're never going to have to send more than our little 50 or 75 bucks a month and we certainly should never expect a prayer letter that actually sounds like they have a great need that would give us a guilt trip we don't need those kinds of missionaries oh you say nobody's really like that mr burks i'm reminded of a filipino family this filipino family bear with me today this is a deep this is a deep thing in my heart. This burns in my heart. I'm reminded of a Filipino family that came to a church and they came to that church trying to raise money, not for themselves, but for others, which is, by the way, the actual definition of deputation. Deputation literally means to raise funds for others. And these Filipinos came because back home in their area, a in this case, it was an independent Baptist missionary had come in about 40 years before, 50, 40, 40, 50 years before, and he'd started a work. <clears throat> and from his labors sprung a church. And he raised up a Bible school. And God raised up young men to go to the Bible school and learn how to be preachers. And other churches sprung up. And the need was so great. And the need of the millions of people dying lost and without Christ was so great that that missionary went back home and and raised money for several of those national preachers to be able to carry the gospel to their other Filipino families. And they set bold goals through prayer. They would spend much time in prayer and much time fasting and seeking God's face and they had a goal to meet um, by a certain year they they planned to have so many more churches started in this area and it was going to take having more preachers and they labored in the word of God and in prayer and in doctrine and they worked many of them working jobs as they preached trying to make ends meet But the work was too big and the need was too great and there were laborers that could go but could not afford to go and nobody else was there to go. Where were the wealthy from America? Where where were the others that could come and take their place? They weren't there. So they gathered up some of their um, sustenance and their resources and they selected one of their national pastors and they sent him to the United States. 
and his family to go from church to church among fundamental evangelical churches and raise funds to send these national pastors to the next part of the great city that they were trying to reach. These national pastors would live in little shacks. They would live on next to nothing. Uh, Several national pastors could be supported for the cost of sending one American missionary because the national pastors could live among the people like the people and the Americans, whether they could or not, don't or won't or can't. And I'm not saying that to be judgmental. Sometimes they really can't. And so they went to raise these funds, and as they went, they did not spend money on fancy suits. They did not spend money on fancy clothes. They did not spend money on fancy food. And they lived in what Americans consider poverty and dirtiness because they were used to it, and they didn't really know how to be immaculate enough to please the tastes of the American church. And deputation was slow. They got some support, but most places they went would kind of frown at them and kind of look at them sideways. What are these shabby poor people coming into our church for? What are these people here for? And then they would say, they would get up and unashamedly say, please, you have so much in America. You have churches on every corner. Our city is going to hell. We have pastors who are ready to go, but they cannot afford to do the work without some help. And all we need is $50 a month. All we need is this little bit of money or so much of money a month per person. And that's all we're asking you for. And we're asking you to please do it. But the church had already spent 15% of its missions, uh, of its total allotment of funds on missions and didn't have any more in the budget for missions. So they take the prayer cards, they pat them on the back, they send them down the road. And they, oh, what is the, what does it say in James? Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? The word started getting round. Watch out for these Filipinos. They're needy. People didn't want them in their churches. Meetings were harder to get. I know of one family, and I don't know all the particulars. I'm kind of blending several different groups, several different stories into one here, but all of this is reality. One group went to a church, and they had no other meetings to go to. And they were traveling, they were sending what they could home, and they only were ta- had enough money to get to the next church. But they didn't have a next church for a month, one whole month. And the church that they ended at had several apartments above their fellowship hall. Several. Quite a bit of space. And these apartments were anything but nice in American standards. They were okay. They had 40-year-old couches, and they had 40-year-old beds and bed springs, a lot of them with the old metal frames and old mattresses and old blankets and old curtains, and the carpet was that old commercial carpet, and the whole place was musty and smelly. And here came the Filipino family, and they stayed shock and horror for a whole month. 
And the church was so offended and so annoyed with the, what had happened and the abuse of God's resources the, in the spirit of good stewardship, they would hardly even permit anybody to stay upstairs in that apartment anymore. And they're going to be really careful if they have kids and not let those kids stay in there either because they might stain the carpet or break a vase. You say you love God, Church of America, and you lie. James 2.1, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Why do most missionaries, by and large, end up being the poor anyway? This is why. Rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well but if ye have respect to persons ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors the story about that family staying for a whole month shook the entire community and all the local pastors knew the story and with understanding nods generally seemed to give acquiescence that such a thing should never be allowed to happen again in their area. Another family that I know of had several children. I dearly love this family. They are soldiers for Christ. Soldiers for Christ. They dress almost Mennonite, so plain clothes, that some, some people that wouldn't know the difference would mistake them for Mennonites. They eat fairly plain, they dress fairly plain, they live fairly plain, but they work for Jesus and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they went out to go to the mission field and they went uh, and they would, and the, the father would call churches and say, can I come and share my burden? And all of you out there, listen, I know that deputation like that is not explicitly in the Bible, but in God's name, what else are most of these missionaries supposed to do? You see, here's the thing. They get a burden and they cannot forbear. They've got to get to the place that God has laid on their hearts and they will resort to nearly begging sometimes to get there. Yeah, there's a lot of junk that goes on with it. There's a lot of false, a lot of phony, but there are those that are real and those that are true and they get looked at with slant eyes, all narrow slits of eyes. Everybody looking at them all suspect. How much of our money are they coming to take today? And God gets sick over that. It makes God sick. You want to put a curse on your church. You want to put a curse on your community. You turn away God's poor servants and you have just cursed yourself. 
and cursed your seed. If ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin. This daddy called church after church after church after church. He put up with some of the most amazing, the most amazing stupidities and sins that church and afflictions that churches will heap on missionaries. You think, oh, you think that I'm just exaggerating things. God have mercy. How about the questionnaire from a church that asked the missionary on the questionnaire to be submitted to the church leadership what his wife wore to bed? I hate to be indiscreet, but they're the ones that said it. The indecencies and the exposures and the humiliations and all of the things that were heaped upon these people as they tried to go and get what the funds that they needed to go to the mission field. It took them more than six years. During that time, churches began to drop them from their support because, quote, they weren't on the mission field yet. And they began to be dropped. So they, be, they hit this static point where they could only get so much. They would get some support on, and they, a, the church would say, yeah, we'll take you on for $25. We'll take you on for $35 a month. We'll take you on for $50 a month. And a church back there would say, you're not on the mission field. It's been three years. We're pulling our support of $50 a month. And they started treading water and they weren't getting anywhere. And they were praying and they were crying out to God. And their pastors started telling them, look, I don't know if this is for you. You might need to give up. You might not be able to go. But they persevered and they prayed. And eventually, with, a, with less support for their big family than most families with two kids would even dare to go to the field with, they went. And God's used them mightily for many years on the missions field, mission field, and I love them dearly, and I thank God for them, but they have lived in near poverty and affliction to do it. And what a shame that is. In the meantime, the young man that can do backflips off the stage, and he's young, and he's strong, and his wife is a young lady that's nice and skinny standing next to him, and they don't have any of those little nuisances running around their feet, gets his support in two years. Because he's got a name, he's got church backing, and he's young, and he looks like he can get the job done, and he's just well-dressed and put together and can articulate himself. This is sin, people. This is sin. The question today, before I get completely sidetracked and preach on missions the whole time, because we've only touched the tip of the iceberg on the offenses to God that American missions have been committing across this land that we need to repent of and get right about. The message today is, can you forbear? Can you forbear? Can you not do it? One preacher said of other preachers, he said, if you can, if you can do something else besides preach, then will you please do it? What did he mean by that? Was he really saying, don't be a preacher? Yes, but no. He was saying, if you can forbear, you don't. This was the idea behind it. If you can forbear, it's because you lack a burden. If you lack a burden, it's because you lack love and you lack faith and you lack a calling. And if you lack a calling and you lack love and you lack faith and you lack a burden and you can forbear, then would you please forbear? That's where he went with it. 
What I'm saying to you today is, can you forbear? If you can forbear, what in Christ's name is wrong with you if you're a Christian? Where is the love? Where is the burden? Where is the desire to see God move in our day? True burdens pray. True burdens give. True burdens work. Let's look at those things real quickly here. There is a deep prayer burden that God gives that is work, that takes time and fasting and that can't be forborn. Like the old widow that I told you about that would fast sometimes 40 days for other people. By the way, she would um, fix the same amount of food. At least one time that she did this, she fixed the same amount of food and took more care in it than she had ever done and distributed it to families that were sick and in need. You say there's nobody like that in America. Well, she found them. And she didn't have a whole lot to begin with. The kind of prayer that is a deep burden of work that will prostrate a person like praying Nash who followed Finney around and prayed with him and like praying Payson like other preachers who like the old Scottish preacher who rap, who would fall out of bed in the middle of the night on his face before God and weep and groan before God for his people wrapped in his Scottish, in his Scottish um, what do they call that? Shoot. He'd be wrapped in that in the tartan. He'd be wrapped in his tartan and he'd be laying there on the floor next to his bed and his wife would look over the side of the bed and say, uh, I forget, in the Scottish they have different things. They wouldn't call him honey. It was closer to sir. And it was because they greeted each other formally in Scotland in those days, even as husband and wife. And she would say to him something to the effect of, Sir, will you please get back in bed and go to sleep? And he would say, Woman... I have a thousand people in my parish and I know not how it is with them. And he would cry and he would groan and he would weep to God for the souls of his people and it would take his time. And such is a true burden and a true prayer burden. But he wouldn't live on the floor. He'd get up and did something. Praying Nash would follow Finney. He would go before Finney and he and a man named Clary would get themselves alone in a place and fast and pray sometimes weeks before Finney ever even showed up in a city begging God to bring the convicting power of God into that city. And then when Finney got there, they would pray what Finney preached. And Finney was their mouth. They could not forbear. You see, we're all members of the same body and you may not be the one to stand up and preach, but you can get behind the preacher and back him up with every fiber of your being. True burdens pray. True burdens give. Like Barnabas, who gave everything that he owned, he sold his land and his, and apparently his home, and he gave all to the apostles there in the early church. In the end of Acts chapter 4, we have the mention of that. True burdens give to the local church, they give to missions, they give to evangelism. This is the bowels and mercies. You say, oh, I don't have much to give. Neither did the widow. She gave two mites. She gave two mites and Jesus said it was all her living. True, true burdens give. 
Now, Paul would not take any money from wealthy Corinth. We won't stop there because we are running out of time. But um, 2 Corinthians 12, 13 through 15, he says that he, if anything that he did wrong towards them, he says, I wouldn't let you give to me. He wouldn't take anything from wealthy Corinth because he knew it was all coming with strings attached. And you can check that out. He knew that if he if they gave him money, they would feel that he was inferior to them and would not listen to them. And he would not hinder the gospel by allowing them the privilege of the fruit of giving to his ministry. On the other hand, go to Philippians 4.10 quickly. Philippians 4.10 But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And he says down here, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The context of that verse, by the way, is a being abased or abounding, living in poverty or living in abundance, but doing all to the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. That's the context there. It doesn't mean winning your baseball game. What a perversion of that text has been allowed and accommodated in the United States. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate, that means give, with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica did ye, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's saying you have manifested your love. You have manifested your prayers. You have manifested your burden because you could not forbear. Can you forbear? Can you let the work of God go and not be a partaker and not be a part? Can you leave the lost to die and go to hell and say nothing to them as they go? Can you forbear? Go to 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints and this they did not as we hoped but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God true burdens pray true burdens give true burdens work you say I don't have anything to give pray and as you pray God will show you what you can give and he'll show you what you can do there he said the church at Philippi supported his work in Thessalonians. Go to 1 Thessalonians real quick, which is our, our text that we're studying, or the book of Thessalonians is what we're studying through right now, 1 Thessalonians, and look at chapter 1 
and verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. I'm not a big fan of preaching these kinds of messages, but we came to it in the Bible, and so we're preaching it, and I can't say anything against it because God said it, and I've got to preach what God gives me. But if somebody has to come along and force you to work and force you to pray and force you to give, it is absolutely useless, and that's not the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message is to preach the word of God as it's given. And as we've come across this text where Paul said, when I could, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, it begs the question and the question that came to my heart and the finger of God pointing at me and asking me the question is, can you forbear? Can you forbear the church at Thessalonica after three Sabbath days of reasoning and in the midst of persecution was commended by God for without ceasing, he remembered without ceasing their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. As we close here today, what was it that Paul was talking about there? He didn't have much to give either. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed there unto. When they could no longer forbear, they deprived themselves of one of the only things that they had in this whole world, and that is the fellowship of of their evangelistic band and they broke up their band in order to do more in more places and deprived themselves of the fellowship of the saints for the work of the ministry they left each other we preached on the sorrow of separation and the hope in separation is the title of that message, hope in separation. We preached on that a few days ago and that hope that we have in separation. We talked about how awful and difficult separation can be. And here the Apostle Paul could not forbear. His love for these people was so great that when he could not go, he sent Timothy. Can you forbear Are you willing to suffer separation? Are you so burdened for the lost and for the people that God has sent you to that you are willing to suffer separation from your loved ones, from your church family, from the people that you know and love? Or will you hoard your relationships to yourself and say, I'll pray for you, missionary, and go home with their prayer card and offer a couple casual prayers And never truly get a burden. You know one of the reasons why people don't pray? Just to be plain and honest as can possibly be. One of the main reasons people don't pray is because when you really pray, you get a burden and pray more. And it takes your time. And it takes your heart. And the next thing you know, it starts, listen to me, the fingers of love in your heart that cannot forbear reach down into your physical pocketbook and pull out the money that your heartstrings are all wrapped around and start giving it to others, which your covetous heart can't stand. That's why a lot of people won't pray. 
because prayer equals a burden, equals fasting, equals skipping food, equals giving sacrificially. And then guess what? The scariest thing of all is what hinders more people from praying probably than anything else. If you pray and get a real burden, God might send you to go to those people. And to be the one to tell them about Jesus. Isn't that where we're supposed to be? Here am I, Lord. Send me. But we don't want to be there. The question today is, can you forbear? Father, in Jesus' name, please help us to have a burden for the lost. Please help us to see the eternal value of a soul as you've been showing us in your word. And help us, Lord God, to allow you to work your love in our hearts so much and to carry the burden that you give us so much that we would give first ourselves and then also um, of what we have to the work and that we would hold nothing back from your work and from your ministry of your gospel. Lord, help us to give everything, Lord, all that we are to your work, to spend and to be spent, Lord. Though the more abundantly we love, the less we be loved. And we know that that will come, and that hurts to even think about. But Lord, it's worth it because we love you. Help us, Father. Oh, that you'd put such a heart in us, Lord, that we can not forbear that we can no longer sit idly by is there not a cause oh lord work it in our hearts help us father in jesus name and lord use this message i pray to turn many people from selfishness and self-living and self-worship to follow Jesus Christ, who took on himself the form of a servant was made in the likeness of man of no reputation in the likeness of a serpent, of a servant, and even, Lord, of the serpent. Oh, I made a tongue slip. Lord, it's true. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Lord, help us, Lord, to get our eyes off this temporal world and its temporal goods and get an eternal focus, Lord, and a burden for souls until we can not forbear. Father, do it in Jesus' name. Revive your church, I pray. Amen.